Let's pray before we look at the word. I just really want to encourage you to just close your eyes right now, if you would, and really focus your attention into the heavenly throne room scene. We're given it four different times in the Bible. The Lord is sitting high and exalted on a throne. Just look into that throne room scene with the eyes of your heart. The Bible tells us, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. So, Father, right now we want to really draw near to you, Lord. If for some reason we've just gone through the motions, any of us in any way so far today, we just want to cast all that aside and we want to give you the fullness of our affection and devotion, attention, the fullness of our allegiance. Lord, we're asking you that you would do among us what you want to do today. So we're presenting ourselves before you. Lord, we don't want to just go to a meeting today. We want to encounter you. So we're asking you to let your kingdom come now. Right here, as it is in heaven. So Jesus, you said if two or three are gathered in your name, you're there in their midst. And so, Lord, we're asking for your manifest presence, Jesus. We're asking you to release kingdom power. We're asking for the, that we taste the powers of the coming age because we came together today in your name. Lord, you know where everyone is. And we're asking, Lord, that you move us all forward now. We pray this, believing and expecting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, we've been doing this series on the kingdom of God. And we're going to bring this little brief series on the kingdom of God uh, to a conclusion this morning by focusing on what is the essence of of the kingdom of God for each one of us. What is the essence of the kingdom of God for you and for me? And I want to really summarize it down to two things. The essence of the kingdom of God for you and me right here, right now, is number one, nearness to the Lord Number two, ruling with the Lord. Nearness to him and ruling with him. That really is the essence of the kingdom of God. As we right now in this present age are tasting the powers of the coming age, that we, are, we have become citizens of the kingdom that's still to come when Jesus comes again. We, we've already become citizens of that kingdom. And what is the essence right now of being citizens of that kingdom? The essence right now is we get nearness and intimacy with the Lord now. And we have a role to play in this present age, ruling with him in ways we're going to see from the Bible today what that means. What I want you to understand this morning is this has always been the Lord's plan for creating us. 
that we would have nearness to him and rule with him. That was his plan at the beginning when he created Adam and Eve. And that's his plan in the age to come. That's his plan in the millennial kingdom. That's the plan, his plan for the new heavens and new earth. His plan has always been that we would have nearness to him and that we would rule with him. In fact, I just want to show you this this morning because it's real important, I think, that we see this, that we've been given this powerful position of nearness to him, but you also have been given this ruling position uh, with him, authority. So we have this privilege of being close and this power of ruling. That was his intent from the beginning. Let's just look at that and see. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. So that was God's plan in the beginning. His plan was that mankind would have communion with him and would rule with him. So that we would have this privileged position of nearness to him and this powerful position of ruling with him. That was his plan from the beginning. Not only was that his plan in the beginning, with Adam and Eve, that is his plan in the age to come. Now, first of all, let's notice, remember that the age to come actually divided into uh, two phases. There's the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth when he comes again, but there's also the new heavens and new earth. But all that is considered the age to come. But let's look at the millennial kingdom and just see that, again, we're going to see that his intention is that we would be near to, nearness to him and ruling with him. Revelation 5.10 says, you have, been made, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. There's a nearness to him. And they will reign upon the earth. That's ruling with him. Revelation 20, verse 6, also talking about that same time period of the millennial kingdom when Jesus comes again, sets up his kingdom, fulfills all the promises that were made to Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to David, in the throne of David. Re Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. There it is, nearness to him. And will reign with him for a thousand years. So there it is, nearness to him and ruling with him in the age to come. Now it's not only in the millennial kingdom, but then there, after the end of the millennial kingdom, we know there's the new heavens and new earth that will go on forever and ever. And what we're going to see is that that's also his intention, that we have nearness to him and rule with him forever. Revelation 22, verse 5. It's talking about the new heavens and new earth. And there will no longer be any night, and they will, have, they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. That's nearness to him. And they will reign forever and ever. That's ruling with him. So there it is again. Nearness to him and ruling with him forever. So the essence of the kingdom of God is nearness to God and ruling with God. That was the essence of the kingdom of God at the beginning when he created Adam and Eve. That's the essence of the kingdom of God in the age to come. New heavens, new earth, <clears throat> forever. Now the question we need to answer is, but what about right now? 
What about right now? What is my position right now? Do I have a privileged position of nearness to him now? Do I have a powerful position of ruling with him now? And the answer is yes. Let's read this passage. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6. says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So it says right now, right now, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you repented from your sins, you turned to Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life, then you are born again, and right now you are seated with Christ. So right now we have a nearness to him, and we, so we, also we are seated with him in this powerful position. Because what is he seated on? He's seated on a throne. What do you do from a throne? You rule. So the question is, how is it that right now we are ruling with Christ? In what way are we ruling with Christ? How is it that right now we have a say about what happens on the earth because we're seated with Christ? How is it? Right now that that happens. Well, one of the ways that we rule with Christ right now is through our prayers. It's through our prayers that we have a say about what happens on the earth right now. In fact, it's through our prayers that history is being written out. In fact, I believe history belongs to those who pray. In fact, I think that when the day comes, we're going to see him face to face and know as we're known, we're going to be astounded to learn, to realize that almost everything that happened on earth that was brought about salvation history was prayed in by a believer. Some believer prayed it in. So right now in this present evil age, as citizens of the kingdom, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He's seated on a throne. We're ruling with Christ in this present evil age. So right now we have nearness with him and we're ruling with him. And one of the ways that we rule with him right now is through our prayers. History is being forged out through our prayers. It really is true that you are a history maker in your prayer life. You are forging out history when you pray. Let me give you an example of how the prayers of just one believer can mildly shape the course of history. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 22 for a moment. Ezekiel 22, verse 29 through 31. Ezekiel 22, verse 29 says, The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery and they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. So this is God's indictment against his people. Notice what he says in verse 30. I search for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Thus, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I've brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. 
Do you mean basically that that part of history would have been different if just one person would have stood in the gap and interceded? History would have been different if just one person would have stood in the gap? That's what he says. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand the gap for me so that I would not destroy the land, but I found no one. History is not primarily being determined today by kings and presidents and the rich and the famous. History is primarily being determined by those who pray. I want to give you another example of how the prayers of just one believer mildly shaped the outcome of history. It's a story that we're familiar with. Moses receives the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 32. Remember, after being up on the mountain with God, the people became impatient down below, and they made a golden calf, and they were worshiping it. So as Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, that's what he is walking down into. And God had had enough. And God was basically ready to wipe out all two, two million Israelites and start over with Moses and form a whole new nation. I want to just read the story. Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people. Whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. You ever do that as a parent, you know? Your child. Go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them. And I'll make of you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt? (laughs) With great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. This is his intercession. Don't kill them. He says, remember Abraham and Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land of which I have spoken, I'll give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So that's his intercession. Verse 40, 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. What if Moses hadn't prayed? What if Moses had something said something like maybe what you or I would have said? Like, I agree, Lord, kill him. <laughs> if Moses hadn't intercede, interceded, then two main Israelites would have been struck down. My point is simply this. Moses' prayer changed history. History belongs to those who pray. So right now, you and I are seated with Christ 
And we have nearness to him, and we are ruling with him in a big way through our prayer life. Now, if you ever wonder, why does, why does the Lord allow us such a privileged and powerful position right now? Why does he allow it? Now, we don't know all that he's doing here, but I suspect, and this is just my suspicion, I suspect that part of what's going on is that we're in training. We're in training for ruling in the age to come. We're in training for ruling in the millennial kingdom. We're in training for ruling in the new heavens and new earth. We're learning right now how to wield that kind of authority. So will you walk out what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom? Are you going to walk out this powerful, this privileged and powerful position? Are you going to walk out nearness to him? Because it's available. Will you walk it out or not? Are you going to walk out this powerful position of ruling with him? Are you only going to take it seriously to pray? Are you going to make sure you're at your post, you're on the wall to pray? Or are you going to be like a lot of Christians who are just like their non-believing neighbors as much as they pray? They don't take it seriously, the position that they've been given. They don't will that authority that they've been entrusted with. See, the truth of the, honest, the, truth of the matter is, is there are so many Christians that are AWOL. You know, AWOL is a military term, absent without leave. They're not at their post. They're not doing their assignment. And we, really, I just want to call us all back to this. I want to call us all back to devotion to Christ, nearness to him, but also call us back to ruling with him through our prayer life. And we have this high and holy privilege and place we've been given, and we need to take it seriously. And so I just want to simply say this about, about prayer. If it's not in your schedule, then you're not taking it seriously. If you don't have a scheduled time to pray, then you're not taking it seriously. If you just pray when you're just kind of you know, so inclined, it's, it's a very unusual person that prays very much if they don't schedule it. Let's just say that. So if, you're, if we're going to take it seriously, we all, we all need to have a time, which scheduled times when we're going to do this, where we're going to intercede, where we're going to make history. We need to do that on our own. We need to do that with other believers. We need to do that in our G-Hop, our Grace House of Prayer, where all, these, all that prayer information is right there for you to pray for all of our workers in dangerous places around the world where we're trying to make history. And so I just, I just want to call you back to that. And it's easy for us to slip in this area, and I'm not really trying to beat anybody up. I'm just calling us back to it. Let's just call, I'm calling us back to this, this privileged position of nearness to him and this powerful position of ruling with him in our prayer life. But prayer is not the only way that we rule with Christ right now in this present evil age. You know, we are princes and we are princesses of the kingdom of God right now. And we rule with Christ in ways besides our, our prayer life. And I want to talk about what that looks like. What does it look like to be living in this present evil age and be ruling with Christ? What does it mean to, to so live our lives that, that his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven? That the powers of the future are invading this present age. And things are looking like the way he wants them to look. Now, again, the fullness of that's not going to happen until Jesus comes again. But even now, we can, we can see in part, the kingdom come. The kingdom rule come. Now, what does that look like? Now, the Bible gives us an image of what that looks like. And that image is called, 
in the Old Testament, the Jubilee. The Jubilee. Now, in order for us to understand what I'm talking about, we need to back up a little bit and see what the Old Testament has to say about the year of Jubilee. And I want to summarize for you Leviticus chapter 25. You can look at it later in detail, but I want to try to summarize for you Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus is part of the sticky pages in your Bible. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 25, because in this chapter, Moses tells the people that they are to observe, first of all, the seventh day. The seventh day, he says, remember to keep the seventh day holy. That's the, that was the Sabbath day. But he doesn't stop there. He says, not only the seventh day, but keep the seventh year holy. And the way you're supposed to do that as a farmer is you're supposed to give the land a year of rest every seventh year. The way a farmer would do that is he, was to, he would divide his, his farmland into sections of seven. And every year he'd give one section the year off. And that was uh, really it was kind of the whole concept of giving the land a chance to rejuvenate and to come back to life. It's actually the whole concept of environmental responsibility I mean, God does call us to take care of the earth, and that's one of the ways in the Old Testament that they're supposed to do that. So there was the seventh day, and then there's the seventh year. But then there was something in Leviticus chapter 25 that happened on the 50th year. The 50th year is called the year of Jubilee. So the concept of Sabbath in Leviticus chapter 25 was not just a day and not just the seventh day, the seventh year, it was also the 50th year, the year of Jubilee. Now, what's supposed to have happened on the 50th year? Well, let me summarize. There's three things that are supposed to happen. The first thing that was supposed to happen on the 50th year is all debts are canceled. Anybody, anybody vote for that right now? <laughs> all debts are canceled. It didn't matter who you owed, it didn't matter how much you owed, it didn't matter how far in debt you were. In the year of Jubilee, all debts are canceled in the nation. All debts are canceled. The second thing that was to happen in the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, is all prisoners are set free. Now he's talking about those who were in prison, in debtor's prison is, is the context. They were slaves until their debt was paid off. They had to serve the person they owed the debt to until the debt was paid off. So they were all those slaves were automatically set free in the 50th year. Their debts were paid in full, and they were free to go. So that's the first two things. All, all, all debts are forgiven, are canceled, all prisoners set free. There's a third thing that was supposed to happen on the Jubilee, and that was all land is given back to those who originally possessed it. All lands that were acquired by rich people for those 50 years had to be returned to the poor people they bought it from. Now, all that sounds like a pretty good deal for the poor, doesn't it? So now, let's look in the Bible for an example where they actually did this. You won't find it. We have no record of the people of God ever once observing the Jubilee. 
The Jubilee was good news for the poor. It was good news for the poor people. They, it was a chance for poor people to get a fresh start. It was new hope. It was a new start. The year of Jubilee, but not once in the Bible do we have an example of it ever being observed. It was commanded, but there's no indication they ever did it. Now, why is that? Well, I think the answer is that throughout history, religious leaders have allowed themselves to be controlled by rich people. Rich people who had a lot to lose in this present world if they actually obeyed the scriptures. So somehow they ignored or rationalized or twisted this path, these passages so they wouldn't have to forgive the debts, so they wouldn't have to set the prisoners free, the debtors, and they wouldn't have to return those lands back to those whom they acquired them from. So the poor didn't get a break. They didn't get the break God intended for them to get. They didn't get a new start. They didn't get a new beginning. So what do they do? They just pass their poverty on to their children and on to their children's children. And then this happened for hundreds and hundreds of years. Then one day, in a poor part of the world, in a little town called Bethlehem, there's a poor couple there that has a baby and that baby is not born in a hospital, is not born in a house. That baby's born in a barn. That baby's first bassinet is a cattle trough. And that baby's clothes weren't purchased at Baby Gap. <laughs> there are pieces of corn, torn cloth wrapped around his little body to keep him warm. Of course, we know that little baby is Jesus Christ. And this little baby comes into the world not just to grow up, and dying on the cross for our sins and to provide a way for heaven. But he comes into the world to give hope to the poor and the oppressed and the sick. I mean, when he grows up and he's baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, and he, before he begins his ministry, he announces what his ministry is going to be like. He announces the ministry of Messiah, and he actually announces the Jubilee. Let's look at this. Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry, and he declares that the jubilee is about to begin through the ministry of Messiah. Now remember, he returns to Nazareth. The synagogue is full this particular day. The place is packed, and Jesus stands up. He asks for the scriptures. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, and he reads it. Let's, let's capture this. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19 captures this story here. Here's what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Listen to this now. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then he sits down. They're waiting for him to comment on this. His comment is, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is obviously, he's, he, is, he is declaring himself to be the Messiah, but he's doing more than that here. Actually, he is declaring the favorable year of the Lord. He is actually declaring the Jubilee. So he declares himself to be the Messiah, and as such, he declares the favorable year of the Lord, the Jubilee. And then he starts his ministry. Now remember, the Jubilee is good news for the poor, right? 
It means debts are forgiven and prisoners are set free. And that's what Jesus goes about doing. He goes about in his ministry, what? Debts are forgiven and prisoners are being set free and people are getting a new start with Jesus. Everywhere people, everywhere Jesus goes, people get a new start, new beginning. And by the way, it's not just spiritual here. He brings good news to the poor. He heals the sick. He delivers the oppressed right then and there, right then. He is bringing the kingdom because he's the king right then and there. So he comes to the earth, you know, so, and what he's doing, he's bring, he brings God's kingdom to the earth as it is in heaven through his ministry. By the way, there's no one poor in heaven, right? So the poor get relief through the kingdom ministry of Jesus. There's no one sick in heaven. So the sick get healed through the kingdom ministry of Jesus. There's no one oppressed in heaven. So the oppressed get set free through the ministry of Jesus. So the ministry of Jesus is good news to the poor. It's good news to the sick. It's good news to the oppressed. But here's what I want you to notice. It doesn't stop there. Jesus then teaches his disciples to do the same thing he was doing. He teaches his disciples to do kingdom ministry. And they do it. The 12 are sent out to do the same thing. Heal the sick, cast out demons, release the oppressed, and to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Then he sends out the 70 to do the same thing, the kingdom ministry. And a lot of people think, well, that's where it stops then. But when you read the Great Commission passage, and we, many of us have read it so many times that I think a lot of us you know, have read it but not really stopped to, see, listen, to pay attention to what every word is saying. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, right? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. All. Now, I looked that Greek word up all one time. Guess what it means? It means all. So the ministry of, of Jubilee, this ministry of bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, healing to the sick, is supposed to be released through his followers all through history. Not just stop with the apostles, capital A apostles, but that kingdom ministry is supposed to be released through his followers through history. It's supposed to be happening today. So the church today is supposed to be releasing the kingdom rule of God on earth as it is in heaven. When I was a seminary student, I remember we had a chapel speaker come and he'd been doing inner city ministry. And his message I don't think in my four years of seminary, I don't think there was a message that you could have heard a pin drop with a silence that hit that chapel under conviction any more than his message. Here's what he said. He said, you guys study the Greek and the Hebrew, and whole denominations are split over one Greek or Hebrew word. And then he held his Bible up and said, I've got 2,000 verses on the poor in this book here. I just want to ask you one question. What are you doing about those 2,000 verses? You could have heard a pin drop. I mean, conviction fell over the chapel, fell on me. That day I decided I would learn those verses and start to work to apply them in my life. 
You see, Christ and the body of Christ are supposed to be good news to the poor. We're supposed to be good news to the sick. We're supposed to be good news to the oppressed. Not just good news that you can, when you die, you can go to heaven. But good news right here and now. Good news. The poor should be able to get a new start because of the body of Christ around the earth. The sick should receive healing. The oppressed should be set free from their oppression and their depression. Now, has that happened in a gigantic way around the earth? The answer is yes, it has. We're supposed to be good news to the sick. Do you know that when there was no hospitals, who created the hospitals? The church did. The church created these hospitals all over the earth. The people of God did. Even today, you've got what you got Baylor Hospital coming up from the Baptist. You've got Harris Methodist Hospital coming from the Methodist. You've got Jude Hospital coming from the Catholic. You've got all these hospitals. Where do they all come from? The people of God. Because the people of God are supposed to be good news for the sick, and they have been in a big way. How about good news to the oppressed? A lot of people are oppressed. One of the reasons they've been oppressed throughout history is because they were deprived of education. So when there were no schools, who created the schools in this country? The people of God did. You want to you want, you know who started Harvard? Who started Yale? Just start, so who started Princeton? Go through all of these colleges. Who started them all? People of God did. Started them. Now you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Gary, that's, that's government's responsibility. Just let them do it. Well, the founders never believed that was the government's responsibility. And I don't know if you noticed now, but the government doesn't always do such a great job with it. And by the way, welfare robs people of dignity, too. And it's really, it's really the responsibility of the people of God to be the good news to the poor, the sick, and the oppressed. And there are so many ministries that have come out of grace, so many ministries that are, part of, are still part of grace, so many ministries that have been released out of grace that are good news to the poor all over the earth. There are orphanages in other countries. There are all kinds of, of, of ministries that are going on uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to those who've never heard, to the, to the sick. In fact, I want to I just let you know about one ministry that just, just really just began by one of our, one of the, uh, one of our brothers here, Right here at Grace, I want you to see it. The ministry is Nick Norzad, and the ministry source of compassion. I, th- I said, Nick, I want you just to tell us about that ministry because it's such a good example of the kinds of things that have been birthed out of this church all over the world. So I want you just to watch this one-minute video about source of compassion. Let's watch it. In 2013, by God's grace, we formed the nonprofit organization of Source of Compassion. And this church helped us to getting started in making our first trip back to Central Asia. We start our project in Kyrgyzstan. It is called House of Hope. It is a vocational training center where boys and girls can learn English language and basic computer skill so they can have hope for a better future. We will give them spiritual guidance and tell them about God, who is the source of compassion. Our capacity right now is 20 students to begin with. Please pray for us as we begin this ministry. This summer we will do a summer camp for many at-risk children. We will love to have you come and help us. Thank you, Grace Community, for your support and prayer. 
That, that just began. You just got to give the Lord a hand. And, and Nick's done a great job with this. But such a beautiful example. And in fact, this is just, I mean, this is just a month, two months ago that Nick was able to get all this going. And uh, it's really amazing because he put, they put one little, inf- you know, little information about what service is going to be available to these, these poor, poor kids. And, and he had room for it to start with 20. He had 230 responded. And so it's, uh, it's something that's going to really grow. But so many ministries like that have come out of, 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 of this church. I'm telling you why. It's because you guys, so many of you guys get it. You get it. You get it that we are, we are kingdom people. And uh, I came across a gal that was, she's involved in another church. And she, and she, uh, she says, if something ever happens to my church, I'm coming to Grace. I said, why? She said, because every time I meet anybody around town that's kingdom minded, they're from Grace Community Church. And I'm like, I just like, praise God. I just love to hear that because that means we're getting it. So the church is supposed to be good news to the poor, the sick, the oppressed right now. We preach the gospel of the kingdom. People can know Jesus and they can begin to walk with him. They can live with him forever in glory. But right now we are good news to the poor, the sick, the oppressed. And let me say something about healing ministry. I don't know how healing ministry works. I really don't understand it all. You know, I've taught seminars on it, but I don't know why some people get healed and some people don't. I don't know all of the, the dynamics that are going on there. I do know that I prayed for the sick for two years before I saw someone get healed. I kept praying because I knew it was, it was part of this great commission. I knew it was there. And I just kept praying and praying. And one day someone got healed. And since then, we've seen hundreds of people get healed. And we're seeing people, you know, on this first Monday night, a prayer for the sick. Uh, I don't think a Monday night goes by that we don't see somebody get healed. And so, again, it's, uh, it's something that we're, we are here. We're to be good news for the sick, good news for the oppressed, good news for the poor. And uh, right now there's probably some people that are either online or with us that maybe you're struggling with some oppression or deep depression. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for you in just a moment. I believe God's going to lift a lot of this off today. I believe we're going to see people really touch today. But I want to say a couple things about that, that, that we really need to walk in to walk free from this too. Let me give you three quick things. Anyone, anyone struggling with oppression and depression, some practical things. Uh, number one, deal with sin. Unconfessed sin can, can really be heavy on you, weigh you down and oppress you, depress you. Deal with sin. Confess it quick. Repent from it. Get it out of your life. Number one, deal with sin. Number two, get some sleep. Get some sleep. And number three, draw close to Christ. There was a Christian psychiatrist that was giving people counsel, uh, real simple counsel that were suffering from depression. And he basically tried to make sure they had no unconfessed sin, they confessed their sin. Then he said, I only give you two, two things to do. For the next six weeks, I want you to make sure you get 10 hours of sleep a night. And they're like, I can't sleep 10 hours of sleep, and 10 hours a night. Well, sleep, whatever you can sleep, you have to take a nap to catch up. So if you only sleep seven or eight, you're going to take a two or three hour nap, but you've got to get 10 hours for six weeks. And he says, and then you've got to take a one hour walk with God every day. That was it. That was his, that's what he gave all these people to do, and almost all of them got healed. So there are some real practical things that we can do there. But I think the Lord wants us to really just end this time by really just speaking speaking the kingdom rule of Christ over all of us. And I think the Lord just wants, he's here with us. You know, Jesus is right here in this room. So let's not talk about him like he's not in the room, right? He's here. 
He's here and he wants to touch some people's lives. He wants to touch some of you that are struggling with oppression, depression, some of you struggling with addiction, some of you just need a physical healing, whatever it is. We want to ask him to do that. So we're going to do lab now, okay? We had class, now lab. <laughs> all right, so let's all stand together. And I just want to invite you to just close your eyes. You can hold your hands out, palms up like you're receiving from the Lord. Father, we just invite the ministry of your Holy Spirit right here, right now. Father, we ask your kingdom come. Your will be done right now here in this place. In the name of Jesus, let your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, release your kingdom power right now. Release your kingdom, Lord. For those who are sick, Lord, would you release healing power now? We pray, Lord, you just release people from oppression and depression. Just lift it off of them right now. Let it come, Lord. Let's lift it off of them and pray. For those under any type of bondage from the devil right now, we just ask you to free them from it in Jesus' name. And I just speak this in the name of Jesus, right? In Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name right now, depression, come off of them. In Jesus' name, we release every demon from any assignment with anyone in this room, anyone online right now. Right now, in Jesus' name, we release you from your assignment. Come, Holy Spirit. receive from the Lord. Just receive. Lord's right now with us. He's, he's ministering right now. Stay focused on him right now. Let it come, Lord. Jesus' name, we declare release to the captives. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we just declare healing to the sick. Let your kingdom come, Lord. In Jesus' name, we break off every demonic assignment right now. Break it off. Jesus' name. Let's receive from the Lord.
happening right now. Some of you feel it happening to you right now. Just raise your hand. You feel it happening to you right now. Raise your hand up high. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. For your honor and glory. Let your kingdom come. Father, we, just, we are so amazed that you give us this high, privileged position of nearness to you and this powerful position of ruling with you, Lord. Train us up. Teach us how, even now, as we learn to be history makers in our prayer life, teach us how to rule with you. Prepare us for the kingdom to come. And Lord, even this week, I pray all of us would find ourselves realizing that we are history makers. We have nearness to you. We would love our nearness to you, but we'd also rule with you and intercede. Make us a house of prayer for all nations, Lord. So this week, Lord, we just pray that we'd find ourselves all drawn close to you and interceding what you put on our hearts as we spend our time with you. Thank you, Lord, for making us citizens of your kingdom even now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Before I say amen, dismiss. If you have any questions for our staff in the Connection Corner Coffee, I'd love to talk to you. Up here in this welcome corner, I'd love to meet you if this is your first Sunday. And we'll have some leader couples over up here, and I'd be glad to pray for you. So, Father, dismiss us now with your blessing. Make us shatter the darkness, people, as we shine the light of Christ everywhere we go. Pray in his name. Everybody says amen. 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 God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>